Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. My friends, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. And I'll give you a little bit of where we were last week as we started the series Hostage to the Devil. Yeah, we do have the belief that there, are, there is someone that doesn't really love us very much and doesn't have great plans for our life. In fact, is scheming against us. We do believe that. We also believe on the other side that we have a Lord that is present, that is powerful, that is greater than anything that would scheme against us. But we want to take seriously what it is that the Word tries to teach us about the one that plans against us and plans our harm and not our good. That's what this series is about. For some of us, we look back at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, like we looked at last week, and we saw what was typically described as the fall of Adam and Eve, that the, the serpent approaches them and the garden, and they look at this one thing, this one tree that is forbidden. All the rest of it is fair game. Look at all the great things that God has given for us to enjoy. Here's all the food. Here's, here's a husband and a wife to enjoy together. And the serpent comes in and says, yes, but look at this one thing that you don't get to have. It's like God is withholding a blessing from you. And so they ended up taking what was forbidden from them, That's the fall. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the fall out from that. And that's what we find in Genesis chapter 3, specifically verses 7 through 19. And let me read that for us this morning. See what it is that the Lord wants to teach us today. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, or some of you say the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, well, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And then he asked, well, who told you that you were naked? Did you, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, that's one of those moments that you know it's uncomfortable, right? Did you do what I asked you not to do? How many of you enjoyed that when your parents did that to you when you were growing up? Can I see those hands? My hand didn't go up, by the way. I didn't enjoy it, but here's that moment. And the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. All right, now stop there for just one second. Did you catch that? The woman that you gave me. Now that's a pretty good blame shift, don't you think? I mean, not only is he blaming the woman, he's blaming God for the mess. Had you just not given her to me, well, we wouldn't be here. Now, mind you, that's right. God God looks in in this, he sees that he's alone and he says, I'm gonna create a suitable helper for you. Let's not forget that part right? But it says, like, you shouldn't have created her to begin with, and then look at what you gave me. That's a tough verse. By the way, she's standing right there. How do you think the home life was that night, right? (laughs) So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, by the way, to to be fair, uh, you got to appreciate her honesty there. She was deceived, and she ate. What she didn't throw was do was throw shade back at the guy, at least not yet, right? So the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You'll move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. 
I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You'll bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You'll you'll, You'll eat from it by means of painful labor all of the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. You'll eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Now, this is not the passage of Scripture that you read to say, this is going to be the pick-me-up that everybody wants to read on a Sunday morning. But what it is, is real. It's real. What you have from the fall is the fall out from it. And, And you see this. Notice at the beginning of the passage, it says, their eyes were opened. Well, what were their eyes opened to? I think the answer is, they became aware of evil. Evil became a part of their thought processes in ways that it never had before. You know, so we're sitting here in a time two years into a pandemic, and we can understand what it's like for something to spread, right? We, matter of fact, a lot of our church right now is at home with COVID. We know what it's like for something to spread, And this is something that God is saying in this passage in Genesis chapter 3, is it's not just that we know what it's like for a virus to spread, we know what it's like for evil to spread through our minds. We know. Adam and Eve were experiencing it for the first time right here. And now you know. And now you know. Your eyes were opened. You're starting to experience thoughts that you never had before, emotions that you never had before, and brokenness that you never experienced before. But your eyes are opened. In other words, you got what you asked for. You wanted the tree, and you got it. So this wasn't what God wanted for them. In fact, when he said don't eat of the tree, one of the reasons is because he wanted their minds and consciences to be protected. That was why he gave the command that he did. But with the choice came immediate consequences. Did you catch that? It's almost, so my father, after coming home from Vietnam, was an engineer for Union Pacific Railroad. And I can remember there would be times where he'd be gone for, for days at a time on, on the train, and then he would, he would come back. I'm the youngest of three sons, and when he would come back, you know, you're leaving my mom at home with three boys, Right? Now, the way that our house rolled was, even if my dad was not physically there, he was always there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, because when he came home, it was going to be, a lot of times, he would, especially when we were younger, he'd line us up. And when he lined us up, he would say, now, how were you boys when I was gone? And that was a moment that was often not fun. I don't know how else to say it. It wasn't fun. How did you treat your mother? And we're looking at each other like, uh, what are you going to say? You know, <laughs> you, know? you know what I'm talking about? What are you going to say? Well, the catch is, is if we owned up to it, I mean, there would, still be, there would still be something for it, assuming that, you know, a lot of times we were fine, I'm sure. But if we lied about it, it was that much worse because it's not just did we do whatever it is that we did, it's that we lied about whatever it is that we did, and so we got a double portion of the anointing when he got home, if you know what I'm talking about. There was always that moment, and that's the moment. 
you think about in Genesis chapter 3, this is that moment. So you have Adam, you have Eve, and you have a serpent. And God's like, I want you three to line up. It's time. It's time for them to have to recognize and be confronted with a choice that they made. Now, I want to be fair here. Even in adulthood, we don't like this moment. We don't. We would love to say that this is something that children struggle with, but let's be honest, it's something that we all struggle with. If someone who loves you very much gets up in your face because of a sin that's in your life, they're doing you a good thing. It's just not an easy or a fun thing. This is their moment. Think about what he says to the serpent first. He says, you're going to be cursed in how you even move. See, when the serpent first appeared in the garden, apparently it was walking and talking. Uh, Most Old Testament scholars would say that what this is is symbolic that the serpent is representative of forces of evil and chaos. Now think about that. This thing is representative of chaos, whereas God is representative of putting order where there was chaos. And so he says, you are going to drop down to your gut. You're going to be slithering along the ground. In other words, for everything that you thought of yourself, I'm going to put you on the ground. You're not going to be as dignified as you think you are. But the second thing was, he says, I want you to look to your right and to your left because you see these people, you see Adam and you see Eve. Yeah, there's going to be enmity between the two of you. In other words, there's going to be strife between the two of you. He says that there's going to be strife between your seed and there's going to be strife between her seed. And her seed is going to crush your head. Now that sounds like good news, right? Because the fight that you have is you have what is chaos that is fighting against her. Which means that our expectation in the way that our day should go is we should be expecting some chaos in our experience. This is what God says in Genesis chapter 3, that the rest of your experience, you're going, to, you're going to be dealing with brokenness and brokenness on a number of levels. This is what you just invited in to my creation. But also the two of you, chaos and you, are going to be butting heads until I say that this show is over with. Now what's bad news for the serpent is good news for the people. Because when he says her seed is going to crush your head, this is a foreshadowing of the Christ that was going to come. And he's going to boom, and he's going to crush the serpent's head. However, it's going to come at a cost. Because it says the serpent is going to strike her heel. And what that means is, is that this is pointing to Christ on the cross. That your deliverance from chaos that you created is going to come at the cost of a God that loves you very much. There's going to be a strike. The heel will be struck is the death of the son. So what comes as good news, even in Genesis chapter 3, in the midst of all of the problems, there's an expense to pay. And the fighting will be between the serpent and her seed. Now, the seed of the woman, by the way, is the human race. That's us. The seed of the serpent are the spiritual forces of evil. And isn't it true? You just kind of look day to day and you think, that really does represent the world. The world is kind of a mess, to say the least. But God said it would be right here. There's the first consequence. Here's the second. He looks at the woman. He says, I have something I need to say to you. First, you're going to have increased pain in childbearing. Now, notice very quickly, it says it's increased. There was always going to be pain in childbearing. It says there's going to be 
increased pain in childbearing. Now, the reason for this is, is it's supposed to point to the pain that came to the world as a result of the brokenness that she helped with Adam to usher in to the world. Be reminded of this moment because it didn't have to be like this. That's, that's one thing. But the second thing that he said was very interesting and it's really hard to interpret. So hang in there with me. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, there's a Hebrew word here that is really difficult to understand, and the word is tashuka. Now, everybody say tashuka. Now, maybe you'll remember it, but I'm only giving you one Hebrew word today, all right? The catch is this is a really difficult word to interpret. In fact, it only happens, this word only shows up three times in the Bible. One of the places is right here. One is in Genesis chapter 4, and the other is in Song of Solomon chapter 7. Let me tell you why this one's tough. I'll give you the different possibilities here. One way that we can understand this, when he says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, could be this. One is that her desire would be to control her husband. And yet, in spite of her constant desire to control her husband, he was going to rule over her. Now, imagine what that home life is like. Got any controlling wives out there this morning? You better not answer that if you're here. You better not. But this is one way of interpreting this passage of Scripture. She's going to constantly try to control you, but she, he is going to rule over her. We can say, any married men uh, married to a controlling woman? But how about this on the other side? Any woman married to a dominating man? He's going to rule over you. How peaceful of a home do you think that that's going to be? I mean, when we do re-engage here, Mark Barnhill heads that up. When we do our marriage ministry here, you know, one of the things that we don't recommend for people is to try to constantly control each other. It's just not going to create a conducive environment for a mutually blessed marriage or set an environment for what you picture for your children and the way a marriage ought to go. Instead, you see each other as a team or even representing Ephesians 5.21, where Paul says that husbands and wives are to mutually submit to one another out of their love for Jesus Christ. Think about it. That's looking out for the interest of the other. Does that sound like controlling or dominating? Not to me. Or listening to your spouse. Does that sound like I'm here to control you? Not to me. Or loving them more than yourself, which by the way is what you said when you got married. Doesn't sound like that. That's one possible interpretation, but it's not the only one. Here's the second. Instead of your desire will be for your husband, some interpret it, you will turn to your husband. You'll turn to your husband. Because of what you've chosen, you will turn to your husband. Now, here's what this would mean. That would mean that she looks to her husband instead of God, and he will be the one to rule her instead of God. Did you catch that? You'll turn to him. And he will rule over you. By the way, that's a bad trade. You know, anytime that someone is setting their affection on someone else to take the place of what God can only provide, you know that you've made a bad trade. And under the second interpretation of this word, that's exactly what she would do. She's going to start looking to this man to fulfill in her only what God can fulfill for her. That's a second possible way of understanding it. Here's the third. The third, it says, remember, your desire will be for your husband. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say your desire will be for his position. It doesn't say that your desire will be for his rule. If you remember, God just said to her that she will have pain in childbirth and that pain in childbirth will be increased. By the way, not fun. 
So a third interpretation goes all the way over to Song of Solomon chapter 7. As I said, this only happens three times. This word only happens three times in Scripture. And the, the third time is in Song of Solomon 7, where it says that the man looks at his wife and he desires her and is talking sexually. The third possible interpretation of this word is that in spite of what it is that God just said, you will have increased pain in, in childbearing, you will still desire him this way. You will still desire him sexually. And all the pain that will come with it because a possible product of your sexual intimacy is that you will have children. You will still desire him. I'll be honest with you. Each three of these is a way of understanding one word. But did you notice something here? No matter which way of the three you take it, something's gone wrong. Something has gone wrong for her. But God's not done because then he looks at the guy and he goes, yeah, I got to talk to you too. I've got to talk to you too. He says, your work is going to be frustrated. Notice before, it's not that Adam didn't work. He worked. It's part of it. Work's a good thing. He says, your work is going to be frustrated. Whereas before the the trees were, were growing in blooms and the provision was there and all he had to do was take and eat, which is the way he said, take it and eat it. Now what you're going to get to deal with is a cursed ground, which is one of the only things that God in this passage says he curses. I'm cursing the ground that you walk on. Thorns and thistles are everywhere. And at some point, you're going to get really frustrated with it. Matter of fact, we know this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, there's this reflection on, think of all the work that we do. And he says, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving for which they labor under the sun? All their days of work, it's grief and pain. It's grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. And this is just emptiness. Some of you have felt that, by the way. You have felt the frustration of your work, and you go right to that moment. And you go home, and you go, what in the world did I just do today? I just worked for for nine hours, and I don't feel like I got anything done. Anybody felt like that before? Do you know what I had to deal with and I got to work? Do you know the people that I had to deal with when I got to work? Some of you might be farmers. Do you know the ground that I had to deal with when I got to work? It's all right here. The very ground that you walk on, he said, will be cursed. He said, but second, he says, you're going to die. You're going to die. Now, physically, this is true. Just not immediately. They didn't immediately die. Matter of fact, Adam lives like 939 years. That's all right. Longer than I want to be around, but it's all right. Physically dying. You know, it reminds me of something. Uh, One is when God makes that pronunciation, so much for you being God. You don't have control over the end of your days. So what they were desiring and eating the forbidden fruit was to be like God, which is what the serpent appealed to them to do. And then notice what he says here. Yeah, so much of a God you are. You don't even get to number your days. I'll do that for you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1, we're reminded of this truth. It says, for everything there is a season and there's a time for every purpose under heaven. I like the way that somebody reinterpreted this. It says, one day you're the windshield and one day you're the fly. One day you get torn up, one day you heal up. One day you watch your life come together and one day you watch your life fall apart. One day you cannot stop smiling, one day you cannot stop weeping. One day you cannot stop dancing, one day you cannot stop grieving. One day your house gets built. One day your house gets bulldozed. 
One day your loved one walks toward you. One day your loved one walks away from you. One day you have hope and pursue your dreams. One day you lose hope and accept a nightmare. One day you bring a new thing home. One day you throw it into the garbage. One day you need to open your mouth. One day you need to shut your mouth. I thought I'd get an amen there, but whatever. (laughs) One day you love your life. And one day you hate your life. One day feels like a vacation and another day feels like a war. How many of you would say, yep? It's because of what God is saying here in Genesis 3. We all can agree. However, in Ecclesiastes 3.2, just in portion with what God had said to the man, one day you will die. In Ecclesiastes 3.2, it says there's a time to be born. And there is a time to die. And God has portioned this. However, in spite of all of this, you still see threads of grace and mercy from God. Because at this point, the story looks pretty bleak, doesn't it? Here are the consequences of the choices that you've made. But even after saying there's a time to be born and there's a time to die, Ecclesiastes 3.11 goes on to say, But he that is the Lord made everything beautiful in its time. And he said, eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, we have this natural longing in spite of the brokenness that we experience. We have this natural longing for God. And the reason that we have the natural longing for God is largely because of the brokenness that we experience. We see that the world isn't the way that it ought to be. And we call out to someone that has the wherewithal and the goodness and the power to put it back together and make it what it was intended to begin with. See, there was a promise that was written to the church at Thessalonica. Some of you have heard of the, of, of the letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. And back in the day, if you went into the city, there was kind of an arc, an arch as you would go into the city. And there was actually an inscription in the arch as you would walk into the city. And the inscription said, after death, there is no reviving, and after the grave, there is no meeting again. This was a statement of what the people of that place actually believed. And then Paul comes along, and he's writing this letter, and he goes, I actually want to give you a different way of looking at it. And he said it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. He said, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Now remember, at the ark, after you die, you don't meet again. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like everybody else who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, he will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise up. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And here's what he said. Encourage each other with these words. Death is a reality. There's more to the story. And for those that are in him, he will raise you up to glory. Now that is a good promise. So in spite of the mess, God says, I've got more of a story to write for you. More of a story to write for you. So even though they walked away from God, which is a spiritual separation, God came after them in the cool of the day. 
And that, my friends, is a good picture of his mercy and grace to us. That in spite of you and in spite of me walking away, he still comes to us to meet us right where we're at. Two questions he asked, hey, where are y'all at? Remember that? Where are you at? Now, I don't think I was trying to figure anything out. Let me be clear. I don't think that's it. You know, that Adam is great at hide and seek. I, I don't think that's it. Instead, I think it was this moment where when he calls out, it's a chance for Adam to stand up, to look him back in the face that he had turned away from and to go back to where he should have been. Where you at? Remember the second question? What have you done? What have you done? Both are questions that are intended to elicit a response. I mean, remember before the serpent told them that they could be like God, that God doesn't determine what is right and wrong, that they can determine all of this for themselves. And they're finding out in a moment, none of that was actually true. They got played. They listened to the wrong voice. And and Adam's response, by the way, you saw it in verse 10. He said, I saw you and I was scared. So immediate with this, you have, there's physical death that will be coming. You have a spiritual death. There's a spiritual separation in the relationship with God. But did you notice here? He says, I'm scared. There was an emotional separation from God as well. Something that they had never experienced before. And the result was he hid. Question I have for you this morning is, how many of you spend an extraordinary amount of your time rather than when God says, where are you? What have you done? That you go after the fig leaves and say, I got to cover this mess up and I got to get away. How many of you respond like that? How many of you hide? It reminded me of a story. There was a telemarketer called home and uh, this little voice answered. It's like, hello. And the telemarketer said, well, who am I talking to? And the little boy said, you're talking to Jimmy. And he goes, okay, well, how old are you, Jimmy? He goes, I'm four years old. And he goes, okay, well, Jimmy, are your parents home? And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, can I talk to them? And he goes, no. And he goes, okay, um, is there any other adult in the house? And he goes, yeah, the police are here and firefighters are here too. And he goes, all right, well, maybe I can talk with one of them. And he goes, no. And he goes, well, why not? And he goes, because they're all looking for me. Can I say spiritually, we're like, we're like little Jimmy? <laughs> Is that fair? Extraordinary amounts of effort given to avoiding the consequences of our choices rather than receiving the grace of a God that's pursuing you in spite of your choices. That's what this story is all about. He still came after them. They hide, God pursues. And one other proof of God's grace for them is that he takes animal skins and he crafts it for them. Yet more proof of God's grace and mercy to them. In spite of what you've done, I'm going to meet your needs right where you're at. I want to remind you of something this morning, that there is good news. All of us, we're like Adam and Eve. And I've wondered this over the years. What if I was the guy that was put in the garden? I'll be honest with you, I'd have done the same thing. I'm just shooting straight. I'd have done the same thing. Just give me enough time and I'm right where this guy is at. But I'm reminded of something that I want to share with you this morning from Tim Keller. He said, the secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. It's worship. You need to worship. 
You need great worship. You need weeping worship. You need glorious worship. You need to sense God's greatness and to be moved by it. Moved to tears and moved to laughter. Moved by who God is and moved by what God has done for you. You need that. And here's why. is because the Christian gospel or the good news is that I'm so flawed in Jesus that, that, that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. And I can't feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I don't think more of myself, nor do I think less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. That's the gospel. Or, as John 1.12 said, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So what's your story? For some, I think there are two parts. Here's the first. For some, you can, you can look to a time when you said, I made a decision and I accepted, I accepted the forgiveness of Christ. And that's good. I can remember that. It was in April of 1986. I can remember that for me. I can. But that's a different question than how am I walking in Christ today? Because for some of us, we've kind of gone back to hiding, even though when we came to Christ, we walked out and said, I need you. Now we're more, even, even in faith, we are more about the covering up than we are the owning up. Can I suggest to you this morning that there can't be anything that's a part of a Christian life that is as antithetical to the gospel of Jesus than that? Nothing that I can think of. Nothing. Today is a good day to live differently. To walk in the freedom that you already possess in Jesus and to hand over to him what it is that is holding you back, the stronghold in your life. And the way that you do it is the way that you did it before. You confessed it to him. You didn't rationalize it anymore. You didn't justify it anymore. You called it what it was. And you said, I'm ready to move on. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And so I'm going to hand this over to you, asking you once again to forgive me. And you know what? His grace is sufficient when you come to him like that. But for others of you, friends, you never have come to him to begin with. Your story is too much like them. You're too busy doing what is right in your own eyes. I want to remind you of something that Genesis 3 told us today. I want you to think of all the things that you don't have control over and stop buying the lie that you've been sold because all of us, myself included, friends, our days are numbered. The question isn't, is that true? The question is, are you today going to respond to the grace that God has been offering you, just like he offered it to them? Even though you have run away, he's been pursuing you just like he pursued them. Today could be the day that you turn back around and you see the God that made you and say, I'm saying yes to you today. Here's the way it begins. It begins, just like it did for me, by admitting that you're a sinner and that God gave you is giving you incredible grace and favor. It is not because of you. You cannot earn it. It is not by works of righteousness done, Titus chapter 3. It's not that. It's by restoring a communion that was broken by walking away. And then after that, because of his love, because of his graciousness, saying, I'm going to live differently. At that point, you have a different resource. 
You have a Holy Spirit that indwells you. You have the Word of God that instructs you. And He makes all things new, portioned day by day, through His Word, through His Son, and by His grace, that you can have a brand new life. The choice, just like for them, the choice is yours. You have control over the choice. You just don't have control over the consequences. Neither did they. So he's told us what they are. We need to take him at his word and know that he's here. He loves you. His grace is real. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.